I'm going to go ahead and start. Welcome to the Why Not Me Refraining from Compulsive Overeating Workshop meeting. My name is Mara, and I'm a compulsive overeater and your moderator for this meeting. Hi, Mara. Hi. Please join me in the serenity prayer. God, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. Before we get started, we ask that all cell phones or other electronic equipment is turned off. Even if you think it's off, please make sure. This session is being taped. All participants are required to sign the release form, which they did. The opinions expressed here today are those of individual OA members who do not represent Region 2 or Overeaters Anonymous as a whole. Please remember, OA members affiliated with related facilities or other 12-step programs are requested to speak on their recovery in the OA program only. An Ask It basket is being circulated for the question and answer portion after this session. If there's any press in the room, please respect our anonymity by not taking any pictures using a video camera or using our full names. Um, The format for this session is as follows. There are three speakers they will share for 20 minutes each, followed by questions and answers. An Ask It basket will be passed around. Please place your questions in the box for our panelists. The topic for the session is um, refraining from compulsive overeating. Our first speaker is Scarlett. Ooh, I'm nervous. Um, I wrote a lot down because for some reason, this time I was just really nervous about speaking. And I write big, and so notes didn't really work too well. And then there, it, nothing seemed right. So, oh, okay. <laughs> Is this better? Okay. Um, just saying that I, I, I'm nervous, and so I, I wrote down a lot of what I was saying. I don't know if I'm going to stick to it, but um, you'll see why I'm a, a little nervous. I'm just not one of those speakers, but I'm here because that's part of recovery. When you get asked to do something, somebody thinks you have something worthwhile to say. Um, so if you still can't hear you in the back, is that, is that a fair statement? Okay. It doesn't work. The mic is not turned on. Okay. Why don't you come forward, too? There's some seats over here. Oh, okay. Well, here we go. I'm Scarlett, and I'm a compulsive overeater. They like us to qualify at the beginning of these talks. What qualifies me? I am a compulsive overeater to this day. I was introduced to OA about 50 years ago, and... You know, back in those days, there wasn't the recovery. We didn't have the literature and everything that we have today. We were reading the big book, and uh, it was a lot different. any rate, uh, I wanted fast recovery. And so I left for a while. I, it just didn't fit at that time. I've been 11, uh, abstinent for going on 11 years. Um, and I have maintained a 90-pound weight loss. Um, 
You know, we were told, really, not to go into our stories, but for you to understand where I was coming from, I need to do that a little bit, at least. So, I came from the dysfunctional family. Is that a surprise? Um, My parents were fighting all of the time. All of the time. And so, I really couldn't bring my friends home. That was the start of my isolation. It became very comfortable. I liked it. And then I didn't have to deal with the unkindness that happens when you're a kid and you're overweight. And I was feeling not only fat, ugly, and poor. Um, so uh, my, my, my fat was just a way of hiding or keeping a little bit of distance. Um, I had learning disabilities back in those days that was not addressed. You were just kind of dumb and kind of put to the side. I was neglected, not on purpose. I had nice parents. I really did. But they were busy with other kids in the family and and other things. Um, So I I actually felt very comfortable becoming invisible. Um, And to do so, I turned to food. I didn't want to be noticed. I turned to food. And that's where I thought I loved food. I ate a lot of it, so I must love it, right? Are we going to learn something? Um, My first serious diet wasn't until I was a sophomore in high school. It was a sensible diet with sugar. Back in those days, they didn't know about sugar allergy or anything. So, of course, I lost weight. And I gained it. And then I went on a couple of liquid fasts, and I lost it, and I gained it. And then I went to the place where they wanted you to be as light as a feather and other gyms, and that wasn't for me either. So then my friend needed someone to take her to a weight specialist, so we did it together. And I was put on a 500, 600 calorie diet. I was given laxatives. I was given diuretics. I was given thyroid pills. Didn't have a thyroid problem, but we were on it. And uh, curbed the appetite. I lost weight. And I thought, well, I don't need to be paying for this all the time, so I'll just continue to buy the laxatives and continue. And then I was taking 18 laxatives in two days and not functioning. So, not only am I addicted to laxatives now, but my metabolism has changed. It was messed up by starvation diets. That's what that 500-calorie, 600-calorie diet is. It's, it's starvation. Um, I went back to a well-balanced food plan, and I couldn't lose weight on it because my metabolism was messed up good. At that point, I just swore off the diets, the gyms, and anything that cost money. I'd had it. That doesn't work either. Finally, I tried OA again. And in the meanwhile, OA had grown and matured in a lot of different ways. Um, I had my longest period of recovery working the steps Uh, and using the tools and the traditions. 
to me, a food plan without the steps and the traditions is nothing more than a diet. And diet is a four-letter word to me, and not a pretty one. Um, I knew, I, I didn't know, actually I thought I was pretty sane, I thought I was pretty healthy, all I needed to do is stop eating and gaining this weight, but what I did learn is that I needed to become healthy emotionally and spiritually for long-term abstinence. I could do the diets really well, but the long-term couldn't be done without the steps and the traditions. Now, you're talking about a person that has a serious learning disability. I hated reading in front of the group. Hated it because I would stumble on the words. But the one thing I wanted to point out to you that I don't hear too much is when I got abstinent, I started reading. I started reading without a tutor, without anything. I just started reading first miracle of the program and many were to come um, I realized that I thought of and you, many of you have heard that our recovery is um, like a three legged stool it's, it's your spiritual, emotional and physical and if one of those legs is broken that we can fall and I, I, I really, in the beginning, I think it really fit because you need to heal. I needed to heal in all areas. Um, but somebody described it a little differently recently, and now I have to say that's kind of changed for me. She described it as a pyramid. And with the bottom, the biggest part, being spiritual, the next part being emotional, and the top part being physical. And I thought, that's interesting. And I thought about it a little bit. And I thought, you know what? I've had my period upside down. You know? And so, yeah, it worked. But a stronger foundation comes from your spirituality. And that's really hard when you, you grew up without any of that stuff. And how did I come about that? I had to just jump into the program and try this stuff. I had to act as if... I used to play games with it in the beginning. It was, well, God, can you find me a parking spot? And um, just little things like that. I was just playing with it. But then when things started happening, I couldn't really blame it on a coincidence anymore. Things started changing. I thought, wow. Maybe there is something to this. Um, when I started out, we didn't have that plan of action. I don't know if any of you have uh, seen it. It's just a thing about that tall. And well, it's really great to get you started on your program if you haven't. Um, it has a section where they talk about you, you, you write down your writing. And so I started doing some of that stuff. You write about your concerns. You write about your fears, your resentments, whatever else is on your mind. I learned to write about blessings. Boy, if you ever want to get out of a funk, start writing about your blessings. Wow, that's the first time. Um, 
I had difficulty writing uh, in the beginning, and so my sponsor told me about the God Can. And I thought, boy, that's disrespectful to put something in a can for God. Didn't get the, the, the point of it for a long time. but So I made a pretty box. I had a God box, and I started writing about these concerns. But it was a start, and it was brief, and so I could do that. And, and now they have these wonderful journals, and some of them actually have outlined uh, subject matters that help us in our recovery. It's, it's really great. Um, benefits of abstinence. I move much easier. I don't have heartburn. I don't have this mysterious pain moving around in my body. I think it was psychosomatic, kind of like uh, uh, fibromyalgia. There's no vomiting. I never stuck my finger down my throat, but I screwed up my body bad enough where it did it on its own. No um, diarrhea. Um, No hives. Uh, The weight loss of 90 pounds makes life a lot easier. Uh, I get to wear the same size clothes. I may have two sizes in my closet, but they both fit because they're cut that way. Uh, Boy, that was big because I couldn't stay in the same size for very long at all. Um, I can do things I never would have thought I could do. I got to try things out in a way. had learning disabilities, and I was scared to death to try anything because I was going to look stupid, and boy, I didn't want to look stupid. Um, And when I, I got in trouble people were there. I didn't even have to ask for help. It was wonderful. Um, I have more fun, but I've gained self-respect. I've gained self-esteem. I have a higher power, and I have you guys. You're God's little angels. Um, My plan of action I keep it really simple. I'm a simple shit. I have to keep it simple. Uh, and I, 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 to make a longer story short, I had to give up diets. I just, I, and, and anything that is rigid, forget it. So um, I, I uh, keep it really simple. Where did I write what I do? I don't know. Uh, I do 301. That's three meals a day, nothing in between, one day at a time. I try to pick healthy choices. And I don't weigh and measure all the time once in a while. I figure, you know, you're getting a little wobbly. Maybe you better start paying attention to that. But most of the time I don't, unless it's something like my cereal that I cook that if I don't measure it out, it's not going to turn out right. Um, I have the same breakfast. I've had the same breakfast for years. And then I have a little bit more freedom with lunch and dinner. And that's important to me. Um, I don't want to feel like I fail, so I do things that I can do. And gradually, my recovery got better. I didn't jump in from three helpings at dinner down to weight and portion amounts. I went from three maybe to two and then to one baby steps, things that I could do. And then once I got comfortable, I'd move on to the next thing. Um, Let's see. 
I have no absolutes. That's really important for me. Um, I have to have some freedom. But I know that it's 301. I know that it's no sugary desserts. I know that I can't binge, and I know I can't skip meals. Um, I've divided my foods into red light, yellow light, and green light. Um, and once in a while, I have to put the yellow up into the red light and then get safe. And it's okay. Uh, another part of my action plan is to start each morning with reading literature and prayer. When I'm having my breakfast, I feed my soul as well as my body. I have more trouble with meditation, but I can get that through music that I enjoy um, and just getting quiet, uh, being in the forest listening to a choir. Those are other ways. Um, I talk to my higher power throughout the day. <laughs> and it's not a, a man in a sky, you know, that, that can fix everything like a father. It's, it's more of a loving, healing energy. And I first tapped into it in these rooms. And it has changed over the years, but it's still basically that. I tried other people's higher powers. I had to, actually, my higher power found me, is, is what it felt like. Found me. Um, to maintain where I'm at now, um, I need at least three meetings a week. I make one of them a step meeting, one of them speaker share, and the other varies. Um, I must have a sponsor. I haven't always done that, so I make it, make it hard on myself. But having a sponsor, I get out of my head, and that's much better. Um, I sponsor, and that helps me. It's amazing uh, how many sponsees have saved me when they call me. So it works both ways. I love sharing. Um, let's see. So that's... That's how I do that. Keep it simple. Simple minds keep it simple. Um, I know sometimes that I'm going to have to go through discomfort. It's just the way it is. And especially in the beginning when you're trying to get clean with food. It's different. Your body's not used to it. Alcoholics go through DTs, um, so we can go through feeling feelings. I allow that to be okay. Um, the best thing I can do at that time is not to eat inappropriately. I'm not going to die between meals. OA is my church. I hang around people that make me feel good. Um, I am kind most of the time. I'm still in recovery, you know, so I have my slip up. But I really want to come from love. When difficult uh, situations come up, I ask myself, how can I turn this around to a positive? 
Um, I've built a support network in OA and out of OA. That's a biggie. You want people to know you're there in the good times, and it's not so hard to call them in the bad times. Um, I want to come from love. And I need to remember to count my blessings. Especially on a bad day. I must give to OA. It doesn't have to be money. I give of myself. And that heals me. And most of all, OA is my priority in life. I get everything I need in OA. It's a wonderful teaching guide. Together we are all teachers and we are all students. And we're here for one another. Thank you for being here and thank you for helping me and my Our next speaker is Rick, and I also need everybody to keep the Ask It Basket going, please, because afterwards we're going to read questions to our panelists. This is Rick. Well, hi, I am Rick. I'm a compulsive eater, and I don't mind not having speakers because I'm a loud talker. Uh, well, I, I'm glad to be here. I'm... Um, I've been in program 19 years, and that's six years in program, six years out of program, and seven years back. And when I left program, well, I'm going to tell you what happened when I left program. I got here uh, when I was, hard to believe, uh, 41 years old, and... It was a miracle I got here because up to this point, I was really, really, really good at dieting. I'd been to Weight Watchers three times and lost a ton of weight. I had been to a hospital program and lost all my weight. I had invented, if you check the Guinness World Book of Records, the Rick's Chocolate Bar Diet. I invented that. <laughs> And what that meant was eat 2,000 calories a day of pure chocolate and exercise and run two miles a day to stay at a normal body size. And if you looked at me, you'd go, he looks normal. Wackadoo crazy. <laughs> that diet only lasted two weeks, and then I was melting down because there was, well, you know why. So this disease for me manifests itself and as I've worked through the steps, and it's only through working the steps that I come to realize that I'm insane. And really insane when it comes to food. And it comes to relationships, and it comes to people. I want to bury it. I just want to bury everything. And I learned from about grade 3 to grade 8, because there were four little boys that bullied me, that the solution to life, and this is from a grade 3 to grade 8, do not show people you're hurt. 
bury your feelings, pretend, 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 and then if you really want to stir things up, you go ahead and, and you just learn how to be funny. Learn how to put on a show. Learn how to pretend. So what I'm saying, there's a word for this. It's three letters. Lie. I learned that lying, lying, lying was going to solve all your problems. And of course, some of you may know that's probably not going to work out too well for you. Well, it didn't for me because the only thing I knew was to lie and eat. And then go on a diet. And then everybody go, oh, you look so good. Yep. Until I didn't. And for me, that first deviation from my food plan was catastrophic because every negative feeling I have about myself, and oh, by the way, I have tons, I'm not good enough. If you really knew me, you wouldn't like me. Um, as my wife says, I'm FOS. That stands for full of sugar. <laughs> Lying. Um, I have so many negative thoughts in my head. I have the pool of blood mentality, which means it's not going to work out well. It's just not. Don't you know that? It's not going to work out. And those thoughts run around in my head. And so this program has given me the tools and a fellowship to start working on that. So what I did throughout my crazy, insane, up and down, up and down, up and down, was I reached a point 19 years ago where it was approaching Christmas. And you know what's going to happen at Christmas? I'm going to gain 10 pounds. And I knew that. And my higher power was so good to me that my dear neighbor, who I hadn't seen in quite a while, showed up. And I saw her, I saw her and I said, oh my goodness, what diet are you on? And she said, I can't tell you it's too complex. Why don't you come with me to a meeting? And that worked. And I walked into a meeting, and there was about 20 people, and the majority were at a healthy body weight. And I went, why are they all here? Look at these people. They're all sitting around. Like, why are they here? And I didn't know at the time, but every single one of them shared their experience, strength, and hope to me at my first meeting. And I felt at home. I went, oh, my God. You're nuts like me, and you're nuts like me, and you steal food and go to your room and eat, and you isolate and eat, and it's our story. They were me. But they were being honest about it. And that's something really weird, right? Like going into a meeting and not lying. I mean, it's kind of what I do. I lie. So when I was in program for the first six years, I got all the way to step six in six years. And then I left because I was at a normal body size. No spiritual awakening. Trust me. I was, it was a diet. For six years, I had the OA diet plan. I had the fellowship. I had so many things that I really enjoyed about being an OA. But ultimately, I was not. I didn't get it. So I left. And for many reasons. And I gained every pound back within six years and more. And that is called hopeless demoralization. If I was hopelessly demoralized when I first went in, trust me, after six years, my heart was breaking. I mean, I gave up. I mean, it's, 
it was just so much pain. And just so much pain. And I didn't know what to do. But I kind of did. That's why the universe gave me my wonderful wife, Judy. She said, you have to go back to OA. You're not happy. I would say I was really depressed. 80 pounds heavier, living in isolation, putting on the mask. It's so much work to fake it. It's so much work to pretend. How are things going? Awesomeness. Fine. Great. I'm doing well. Lie, 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 lie. It's all they were. That's why I live my life, is one big lie. And where that takes me is to coming back to OA. So who wants to guess? Actually, you know what I'd like everybody to do? You're going to take 30 seconds, 30 seconds, 15 seconds to stand and stretch. Can we all just stand and stretch? Because I just realized how good my body is feeling right now stretching. (sighs) Doesn't it feel good to be alive and feel your body? And this is leading right into where I'm going. Trust me. Ah, feelings. So, our feelings, feelings, feelings. I went ahead and came back to program, walked through the doors, and absolutely, positively did what? Lied. First meeting, never been here before. I was 80 pounds heavier. I'm in massive relapse. I'm depressed. Do you think I was going to tell the truth? Clearly, I couldn't. I couldn't. Well, three meetings later I did. And finally I said, okay, I've been here before. And I started the journey coming back. And, and we all know, I mean, who, who hasn't yo-yoed, right? Oh, nobody put up their hand. So the moral story, <laughs> the moral story, it was just, it was just I, was, I came back with a renewed passion. But even then it took me Working with a sponsor, working the steps, it took me over two years. It took me over two years to, to get serious because I didn't want to give up the food. I mean, who wants to give up your best friend food? I just didn't want to do it. And it took a lot of, it took a lot of minor miracles and a lot of things lining up for me to reach a point where I actually wanted a new life and believed it was possible. And that happened because of the people I met in a way. So that takes me to uh, refraining from compulsive overeating. That's really, really, really impossible for me to do without spiritual recovery. Because in the disease... I turn to food. This program has taught me a bunch of things. Big one is in my head are thoughts and they're not me. Can you believe that? That I actually think stuff and it's not me? But I do. I had a whole lifetime. As I worked through my steps, I realized I had built up all these beliefs about life. And most of them were brown sugar. They just weren't true, but I believed them, and then I had these thoughts, and then I had these feelings, and I didn't want to feel that, heaven forbid, so the best solution was to eat. That's just the way I'm wired. 
And I also come from a long, long line of compulsive overeaters. My dad was, his brothers were, on my mother's side, both of my mother's sisters were morbidly obese. I mean, I got, I got like genetic coding here for my pool of blood mentality, my negative thinking, my desire to see the worst in the universe and eat over it. Well, I can tell you based upon working through the steps, I eventually had a spiritual awakening. And that's a big deal because as we just heard, that is the foundation. That is the foundation of my recovery is seeing that my body is just my body. But the spirituality, the love that I get from being in these rooms is, it's a miracle. And I don't get that in the outside world. Because trust me, if I walk in the outside world and go, one, I'm insane, two, I lie. (laughs) And three, you have a beautiful energy, they run away. Yeah, crazy boy. But it's not. I look around the rooms. I've been I've been back here at this convention and I know a lot of people. And as I walk around, I look and you know, you feel it, don't you? Don't you just feel that loving energy coming out of people as you walk up? And the reason I feel that energy is one, I really believe it's there. But two, I do a lot of service. I have gotten out of sitting in my bedroom eating food, stealing food. I would steal food for my daughter. She would write on leftovers from a restaurant, Amy's, Daddy, do not eat. (laughs) Why did she do that? Because she knew the next morning, if I woke up at 2 o'clock in the morning, game on. It was going to be gone. I don't do that anymore. I don't do that. So for me, the spiritual awakening has come kind of slowly. Actually, really slowly, but it's come. Today, I really believe in the importance of feeling, not only feeling my, bo- feeling my feelings, but feeling my body. Like when we just all stood up and did that, oh my God, look, we got bodies. I never knew I had a body because I was always stuffing it. Well, actually I did, but you didn't want to look in the mirror because, oh my God, who was that? Who was that looking back at me? That was me. At least that was my body. That wasn't me at all. And that's where I am today. This, if I'm lucky, I got it for 80, 90 years. Gone, right? And in case you haven't done the math yet, I'm 60. So what have I got left? 20, 30 years? And this day, July 5th, that gives me maybe 30 more July 5ths. That's not a lot of July 5ths. So why would I not want to do everything that I possibly could to enjoy living in the present moment with you. And for me, that's food is fuel. That's one of my mantras, food is fuel. Because I have alcoholic foods, foods that at the thought of them, at the touch of them, at the smell of them, I'm sure if they put my brain into an MRI, it would be lighting up like a Christmas tree because they're so exciting. And I, I know, I've got friends in Peru. We all have exciting foods. I can't eat them. Because once I start eating them, I want to get more of them and go in my room and lock the door and eat them. I mean, that's in there. That program is in there. Isolate and eat. Run away. And I'm nuts, right? I used to think that was a good way of living life. Um, the other thing that, that works for me 
is the tools and three meetings a week. I have to go to three meetings a week. And I'm saying that out loud because I have to. Because after about four or five days, you know what comes back? The old Rick. I think I should get some food and go in the room, lock the door and eat. But I go to meetings and I get to meet people that I can, and I hear something that I do that's really, really weird. I ask for help. For me, when I came back to OA, I wouldn't ask people, what do you eat? Because then they'd know I have an eating disorder. (laughs) I'm in OA, right? But I wouldn't ask. I wouldn't say to them, so you're at a normal body size. What do you do? And you look like you're healthy. What are you doing? And what does your plan of action look like? I don't know. Clearly, I'm walking around carrying an 80-pound backpack on me. I didn't know how to eat. I didn't know how to live. I didn't know how to meditate. I didn't know how to work, use the tool. I knew nothing. But I would sit in my house and not ask for help. Heaven forbid, pick up the phone. Uh, my sponsees, what I say to them is, I want you to find somebody at a meeting that looks really cool to you, that seems to have what you want, and phone them up and say, tell me how to use the tools. What is your food? Because you know how scary it is to phone somebody? Like, it's really scary. But you don't have to be scary if you've got the list of the tools in front of you. Because if they're in recovery, they will love to tell you what they're doing different, what they were like before, and what happened, and what they're like now. We all do. We really want to talk about it. And if someone calls, woohoo! Right? It's great. So, the tools are big. The, okay, I'm going to come out of the closet. Are you ready? I'm a tubaholic. No 12-step program for it, thank God. I love coming home from work, totally in my head, totally listening to what's going on in here. By the way, it's not good. And I'm tired, and I'm feeling lonely, and I might be bored, and oh, who knows what feelings are going on up there, what thoughts are going on, because the feelings come right after it. Fire up a tub. I do. I jump in it. And I meditate, which is a big fancy word for I breathe. And I try to calm down. And it seems to work for me. I don't understand why, but it really does. There's something about um, the warmth, the blood flowing. Maybe I'm getting more oxygen to my brain. It doesn't really matter, right? Because it doesn't matter as long as it works. The other thing that I do, which is, and my brain is so stupid. I mean, this is, I have a three-pound supercomputer with some bad software. (laughs) And my three-pound supercomputer... Oh, it just it just has so many things that it tells me that, that I used to believe. So now what I do is I have friends in program that I can call up or talk to or text. Texting works really good too. And saying, you know what I think the next right action is? I go, yeah, that's one possibility. But so often I come up with crazy stuff that I think is the next right action. So for me to go ahead and relax 15 minutes here's where my brain goes and it is totally based on i'm a morning person if i think it's the morning if it can be seven o'clock at night if i brush my teeth and shave and do my morning routine my brain thinks it's morning and i feel so much better doesn't make sense but it works for me and that's what's cool about this program is we all get to come up with our own plans of action, our own strategies. We get to ask people what works for you. 
And we all know the food, the food thing, right? What I could eat might be good for me but kill you. And that's the same thing with plans of action. We don't, none of us have all the answers, but it doesn't matter. We get to go out and we can say, so what's working for you? Give it a shot, right? There's a, there's a word that I like called curious. I wasn't curious before. I was sad and depressed and overwhelmed and life sucked. Pool of blood, it's not going to work out well. But to be curious and ask people is so cool. Because who knows what you're going to hear, right? You might have, and this is, again, my experience, my higher power speaks through you to me. And that's important because, uh, well, it just is important to me. So we've talked about tools, we've talked about meetings, we haven't talked about food plans. I like to line my ducks up. I'm a little OCD. I really like to know the way the universe is going to unfold, which means I want to be God. And I'm not. But I do visualize today. I do vi- one day, I just visualize today. I think about think about what am I going to eat? What, how is the day probably going to unfold? Am I going to a meeting? What have I got to do? Blah, blah, blah. But it gives me some peace. Good news is we're down to the last 60 seconds. So to just close it, I heard this at a, I heard this at a day in OA, and I, and I thought it was so cute because it's not mine. Any day I can keep my gratitude higher then my expectations is a good day. And I like that slogan because it's just so (laughs) not me. (laughs) The other thing that works for me is nature. I find find so much peace. Okay, my five senses. We all have them. For me to get into my senses, to go out, I, I was in the parking lot getting my lunch out of my trunk and I felt the sunlight and I felt the breeze. And then I listened for birds. I like looking up towards the horizon and, and looking down because it gets me, I'm looking like this normally, but if I can look up and I go, oh my goodness, look at that, it's so beautiful. And then I look down and I go, oh my goodness, it's so beautiful. It's just getting out of this crazy three-pound supercomputer into the present moment and feeling connected with my body and connected with reality. And so that's why I'm here. I'm here to hang out with, I don't know if there's 500 of us here or whatever, but hang out with 500 beautiful spiritual people. Um, And I'm a little OCD, so why don't we just all make a a commitment right now to come back here 1,000 years from today and hang out. (laughs) Thank you. Thank you, Rick. Is the Ask It Basket still moving along? Okay. And then our ne- last speaker is Cindy. Yay. Hi, my name is Cindy, and I'm a compulsive overeater. Hi, Cindy. Hi. So um, I'm, I'm going to reread the topic just because I need to do that. Um, so why not me refraining from compulsive overeating? So um, like someone said, I was asked to do a topic, and I didn't know which one, and I thought, well, why not me? And then there's why me. That's the poor me side of the whole thing. And then um, 
and anything, and I should also say anything I'm going to say about this topic, it's, it's really everything I know about not compulsive overeating. I learned in OA. That should be a button. Um, because I really didn't. I know how to compulsively overeat. I didn't know how to stop, bottom line. And, um, and as someone told me or I heard at a retreat, which is a way to not compulsively overeat, that's one thing I've learned, that in addition to going to meetings, which is the main way to not overeat, I should say, like I, I do that. Um, I go to meetings. I prefer to go to five meetings a week, but three is my minimum because uh, I learned that when I go to more meetings, I'm not crazy. And for that one hour, if you ate the way I did, you're not compulsively eating that one hour. Also, what I've learned and what I've seen and what I know, there's no way I'm going to stop compulsively overeating if I'm not going to meetings. It's like, you know, I've met people, and I was this person too, um, Part of my story, just briefly, is this is my third time in OA. I came back in 2001. I didn't get abstinent till 2007. And recently, my food plans changed, and a lot of things with that changed in my life. But my first abstinence was just not compulsive overeating and not eating um, desserts. And if someone had told me that today I would eat the way I'm eating, the way I was eating in 2007, which was August of 2007, I would have told you that that's the biggest lie I've ever heard. Um, I've been in and out of OA. Um, This is, I think I told you my third time. So the first time I came to OA, I was 12, and I left because I was busy. Then I left again when I was 22 or 21. Um, And when I left, I had came the second time and I lost uh, I think I lost 80 pounds and when I came back I had gained 140 and that was not what got me in the rooms it wasn't 140 pound weight gain so um, anyone who's like in here and they say you come for the vanity you stay for the sanity that wasn't it didn't do it for me it the sides of my butt wasn't what got me here and it's not what keeps me here um what keeps me here today is i i mean why not eat i don't eat today because one i'm here that's the bottom line i think i'm with you guys two because i believe i'm gonna die the big book basically says that um there's i think it says you're up against a brick and a hard wall i'm really paraphrasing very badly um and it's like we're at the jumping off point. We're either going to eat or we're going to die. And I, I've, I've chosen death, bottom line. I, I, wanted, I wanted to die. Um, so that's my story. And that's, so why not eat? I want to die. I know the, the, the end result of this thing is I'm going to die. And, or the other end result is I will be 500 pounds in a wheelchair living a really half life and unhappy and miserable and probably beating up everybody else. It's like those are the options. And and for me, I don't think that being in a wheelchair, having all those problems and being pissy is a way of living either. So, um, you know, what do you do? You get to abstain. So then, like someone says, you got to abstain. It's like I have no effing clue how to do that, right? No clue. So it was go to a meeting. Okay, so you go to meetings. And then someone was like, there's more to OA than going to a meeting. Why don't you try going to um, a convention, like we're here, or go to a retreat, which um, we're here. And at a retreat, I heard someone say, "Um, well, someone's got to recover. It might as well be you. Because I never thought. I mean, like... I didn't, I didn't think it was for me. It's like when you come back after your third time and you're 140 pounds larger, it's just like it, it, the whole ideal of being 
then was just, it was an illusion. It was like, I think there's a unicorn out there. That's, it, it was like that. It's like, oh, it's a unicorn. Um, I just couldn't believe it. And because I also know, because of my own upbringing, there's, um, in the big book, there's this chapter called To the Family, and it talks about um, children of alcoholics are cynical. Well, I didn't realize, one, that I was from an alcoholic family. That's all new that I'm admitting. And two, that I was cynical. So I had left the second time, and um, when I came back, I didn't believe any of you when you told me you were abstaining. I just was like, you're all a bunch of liars. You're going home, and you know you're eating a bag of potato chips and cookies, and you can't tell me shit. Excuse me for cussing. I know that's not appropriate, but I do that sometimes. So I just, I didn't believe you. It just, I just, I didn't believe you. So, like, it was great to come to meetings, to see people, and it was beyond that. It was people who um, reached out to me, and I let, I guess I let them reach out to me, and who they, like, took me to other meetings, and I could see how they lived their lives. And I saw that they were living um, abstinently and participating in this program. And that happened a second time when I moved to um, Oakland. I live in Oakland now. And so, again, but the foundation of that is I went to a meeting. If, If I had been looking for the mysterious person who abstains and really does this program, I would have never found them. I can't find them in the TV you know, um, or in the bag of potato chips at the bottom of the Cracker Jack box. They don't live there. So I had to come to, to, to get it and to believe that there were people who abstained. And even that thing um, where it says, find people who have what you want. Well, <laughs> my favorite speaker is this AA speaker I listen to. I listen to tapes. How do you stop compulsive reading? Listen to speakers. Listen to AA. I listen to a lot of AA tapes because, for me, some of the people who talked on those ate and felt the way I felt. They didn't, and their drinking reminded me of my eating. Anyway, there's an AA speaker I love. His name's Earl H., and he's a real hardcore alcoholic, and he said when he got to AA, they said, um, find someone who has what you want. And Earl says, well, I want a drink. So, (laughs) and... I mean, like, that's how I felt about compulsive overeating. Well, I want to eat. So, like, none of you guys, I mean, you know, I needed to find some people who, like, like doing this thing. And thankfully, I met them. They, um, they eat the way they say they eat. They read the books. I've seen them pray, pray and meditate when I've been in their presence. You know, like, there's people I've met where I don't do that when, you know, it's like, am I going to pray before a meal and you're not a compulsive overeater? Heck no. Am I going to pray before a meal in general? That was like the hardest thing to do. Like this whole idea of letting God in before you eat. What the heck? This is like on fire and I got to get it down here. <laughs> you know, it's like the whole thing didn't, it's like it didn't, it didn't make sense. And I was even, in my first year of abstaining, I was at an OA convention and this wonderful spiritually advanced OA person you know it was a luncheon and every OA was eating and talking and I had finished my plate and she says you know honey when you eat like that you're still compulsive overeating well I mean I was like devastated because like just eating that plate of food and not running out was the hardest thing I had ever done in my life and for another really advanced spiritually fit compulsive overeater to tell me I was still compulsive overeating was just it was heartbreaking because I mean I'm with you guys and you know you're screwed when you're the biggest compulsive overeater at a table full of compulsive overeaters (laughs) that was me And thankfully, you know, um, 
my sponsor, either I told her about it, I called her, or she was there, and she said, give her the short version of the serenity prayer, which is fuck her. And, um, <laughs> and it worked, you know? So, you know, how do you compulsively not compulsively overeat? You talk to other people who are like you. And I'm so glad I don't have to be spiritually perfect because I hated you guys. I hated you. But I needed to be with you at the same time. And that's, that still, like, makes me sad, you know? Um, because it's like to admit that I'm a compulsive overeater and um, that I need the very people that sometimes I don't want to be with is really, really tough, you know? So, um, what else about me uh, and, and not compulsively overeating? I guess, so I told you I go to meetings. I have a sponsor. Um, that's, that's a big, huge thing. Um, it, it's a miracle of God, actually. I didn't realize that part of my disease of compulsive overeating is I think I'm really self-sufficient. I'm fine, thank you. Um, which is like the biggest lie I've ever told. And... Um, and now that I've been abstaining longer, uh, I, I say today I'm more of a compulsive overeater than I was when I first walked in the room. And partly what I believe about that for myself is that, you know, miracle of miracles. Like, you got to abstain to know you you're have a problem. When you're eating, it's like we don't know we have a problem. Um, and so... You know, finding a sponsor who actually gave me my first abstinence and said, you know, I, she was like, I don't sponsor people who eat sugar. And I did not know how to do that. I tell you, um, I, I didn't know how to do it. And she said, well, better sounds like you better find a God who will help you. And here I am. I felt like I had a God. I felt like I had been praying. I had, when I left OA the second time, you guys had told me it was a spiritual program, so I got that. And so when I left, I went to psychic healers. I went on meditation retreats. I did hypnotherapy. I probably had people lay hands on me, and I still ate. So um, someone telling me to get a God that will help me not eat just sounds like, which I was already doing, you know, and didn't work. Um, but maybe it did, and maybe maybe it was because I wanted this person to sponsor me. I didn't, I, well, not immediately, but eventually um, I didn't eat sugar, and that was really the beginning of my abstinence. And, um, and I say that that's God, and I say that's working with people. I, you know, because when I'm in a room by myself with God, I lie, you know, um, it, God doesn't move. It's like I do, I guess. And so I, I have to be with you. That's that's all I know. And even when I came back, and I came back in 2007, and then in 2005 I moved to Oakland, and I was really convinced that I probably didn't need a sponsor in the Oakland area. So I was going to a few meetings, like one a week, which is for me is not enough. So I would say you need to go to more than one meeting. Three is minimum. Um, and I was reading the literature by myself, and understanding it, so I thought, and that didn't work. It didn't work. I, I mean, I have to be with you guys in the rooms reading that stuff with you guys and talking to you, and then things change, And because if I could do it by myself, believe me, I would. I really would. Um, 
So I guess the first thing to not compulsive overeating is to be with other people and to be with other compulsive overeaters because that's the other thing. Because there's a lot of stuff out there, people doing all kinds of diets and whatever and have all kinds of stuff to tell you. For me, it doesn't work. It has to be with you guys talking about the steps, talking about the big book, reading our pamphlets, and doing that. Bottom line, if it could be something else, I, 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 I would try it. <laughs> no, I would. Okay, I would have tried it then. Today, I know I'm a compulsive overeater, and the only thing that works for me is Overeaters Anonymous, the 12 steps and the tools. Other, just nothing else, nothing else works. And, and in fact, um, there's another part in the big book about working with others, and it says nothing ensures so much against compulsive overeating than working with other people. So I always thought that that working with other people was would be being a sponsor. Um, I am right now without a sponsee. I do still have a sponsor. So, but that is part of it. But the other thing what I'm learning is it's it's also showing up to meetings, preferably on time. Um, and all the other stuff they tell you about service, putting away your chair, coming here, talking to another compulsive overeater, taking a phone call, all of those things, or making one, help against that's working with another person. And uh, in fact, this morning, um, I am with another person doing a newcomer meeting, and we've, we have made the meeting more focused, like it's eight topics that we talk about once a week, and it was only two of us this morning, but um, we were talking about step one, and it says in, in, our, in our literature, in the OA literature, that it's a threefold disease, spiritual, emotional, and physical. Actually, physical, emotional, spiritual is the way they put it. And because we were in this, like, little small group, just me and this other person, I got to tell the person, like, you know, I've never kind of fully understood the spiritual part. Like, you know, when you're a 100-pounder, you get that it's physical. Or when you're an anorexic, you get that it's um, physical. But I am a single person. I live by myself, and I never thought that emotionally that my compulsive overeating was bothering anyone but me. Um, I did all of my compulsive overeating, not all of it. I've been a compulsive overeater all my life, so my family and my parents knew I was a compulsive overeater. Um, I still didn't think that I was emotionally affecting them, and it had taken me to be here to get that. Like, I'm just now getting, and to be honest, when I am compulsively overeating or when I have, I have, I've been having to admit that I'm probably a really angry, silent bitch. <laughs> um, and I, I don't want to admit that, but it, it's true. So like emotionally, I'm sure, and, and I've had the privilege of being in a different group where someone's talking about living with a compulsive overeater. And it, if, if you closed your eyes, it sounded like they were living with an alcoholic. So I'm clear now that that there is an emotional component to what we do. And that sometimes when people say that they have no clue what we, what we do. Um, and then the spiritual, I didn't really fully get because of, um, because when you leave this program and you try all the things I did and, and you believe, and I have a belief that God's with me, whether I'm eating or not, it's kind of like, well, how is it affecting my spirituality? You know, um, but what I do know and what I kind of learned this morning um, from this person, which is another reason to go to meetings, you learn things that you wouldn't know. If I'm in my house by myself, I wouldn't hear nothing but my own thoughts. That doesn't work. So this person shared that um, living God is, for them, 
um, that which is the reason why we want to live, why we grow. And, and that was helpful because I have to admit, you know, when I'm compulsively overeating, I want to die. So if I use that person's definition that God is about living, then I'm just saying I want to die, and I'm definitely against God. And then there's other people who have said the hole in your heart, you can't fill it with food. That's the other spiritual thing. But, you know, like if I weren't here, I wouldn't have heard those things. I wouldn't have known those things. And um, and not all that stuff is in our literature, but a lot of it is. So um, what else do I, refraining from compulsive overeating? Um so I think, well, so it's the tools, and, and the thing is the tools are just an easy way for us to do the steps because it talks about writing. Well, writing is really kind of your step four, um, the moral inventory, or step ten, the daily cleanup. And um, there's the reading literature. Like I said, I pretty much, as someone also talked, most mornings I read our um, – I read, not ours, but I read a meditation book, but I do read a page from the big book. Lately, I've been on page um, 416 and 417 about acceptance. Because um, I'm having to admit, after coming back since 2001, I feel like it's just this year that I've been taking step one. And I don't know why that's going to make me cry, but it's about to. Uh, I'm just now accepting that I'm um, step one compulsive overeater. And... Uh, and there's this part in the book where the guy um, talks about he'd been coming to AA for a while, I say for seven years, and you know now I'm finally going, okay, God, okay. Uh, it's really, really, really true that I am a compulsive overeater. So I didn't give you permission for that, but it is the way it is. So what am I going to do about it? And the thing is you guys told me what I'm going to do about it. You abstain. You abstain. You do. You come to meetings. You read the book. You write the literature. You have a sponsor. You make a phone call. Um, and and then and these are all also now we've added this wonderful eighth tool. That's all part of your action plan. I tell you, if you write out all the, the before we had eight, if you write out, I think it was seven or is it nine tools today? I don't remember. So if you wrote out the eight. That was a plan. If you're trying to hit all of those within a day, to me that's a plan. Because by the end of the day, if you've done all that, that that's a plan, a plan to abstain. And for me, the spiritual awakening today is that I am a compulsive overeater. Like, that's all. I'm a compulsive overeater, and today, by the grace of God in this program, I don't eat. And that's a freaking miracle. And I just recently went through um, a job change, and I didn't gain a pound. And, like... That's, I mean, that's a miracle because all I had was eating and that was it. I just, all I had was eating. And, um, and I know that through everything I've learned here, you guys have given me in this, I'm stealing this from someone I heard on an AA tape, you know, um, I only had nails in my toolbox and because of this program, I have nails, hammers, screws, and a whole lot of other stuff to deal with life on life's terms. So like eating isn't the only response I have for everything, whether it's happy, sad, and different in this world. And, um, and that's a big deal. And, uh, and I guess I don't have much more to say, I guess that, but if you're new, just keep coming back. And if, if just keep coming back, go to meetings, as many as you can, and um, I personally prefer where I can see people face-to-face rather than the phone meetings. Not there's anything wrong with the phone meeting, 
but um, because I'm cynical and I don't believe you, I have to see you. So, you know, come back. Thanks. Okay, so I'm now going to draw questions from the Ask It basket to ask the panelists. Um, the first one is for Scarlett. Kate, you mentioned the need to experience discomfort. How do you deal with discomfort, a.k.a. feelings, when it arises? Here, I'll leave it there. Yes, please. It's going to be recorded. How do I deal with it? Um... I think I turn to my higher power and I ask for help with it. I also have been around the rooms long enough to know <laughs> that it will pass. It will pass. I also think it's a gift, truthfully. Um, I was so out of touch with feelings. I grew up thinking feelings instead of truly feeling them. And so when I actually get a feeling, I know I'm in recovery. And that part feels good, even though I don't like the feeling. Um, my body lies to me. I can get up from a fantastic meal, and if I'm going through something, I'm not really aware of it usually, I can just feel famished. And I know my body's lying to me. And that's a clue that I need to backtrack what's going on in my life because I come from everything's fine. I can hang on a list. I'm strong. But my body will tell me in other ways. It has. And quite frankly, hunger feelings or just a feeling sure as hell beats some of the other stuff I've gone through. The roving pain where I couldn't move. Um, just weird things that happen to my body. So, actually, I think it's a kinder way of my higher power getting my attention. Um, I much rather have that feeling than the two by four that can be hit. So, I consider it a gift and that it will pass. It doesn't say for us, it's part of healing. This is for Rick. How did you change your expectations of negative outcomes? Before I answer that, I'm a great believer in self-care. If anybody wants to just stand up and stretch, stand up and stretch. But you don't have to. Although I do kind of want to control the room. Ugh. <laughs> <laughs> oh. I didn't say you could leave. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Okay, so the moral of the story, how did you change your expectations of negative outcomes? The program gave me the tools. A big one of them for me is writing down my fear of resentment, writing it down, um, writing and then with that, actually what I do is I write down my fears and I write down two possible things, little baby steps I could do. Because I take 
a molehill that's that big, and I make it to 7,000 feet. And then I want to go skiing on it, but that's weird. But I make everything so big, and I blow it out of proportion. And that's just what I do. So for me to say, okay, I'm really afraid of blah, okay, what can I do differently? And I had heard it in program, first thought wrong. Usually my first thought is wrong. But my second and third thoughts can sometimes be, well, I could ask for help. I could call my sponsor. I could, there's a lot of stuff I can do, which doesn't involve me really doing anything. And I really do like the softer, easier way, which means I do nothing and it fixes itself. And sometimes that's the solution. Sometimes I actually get to do nothing. But if I can ask for I, I don't, I don't see clear. I don't have clarity. That's the big problem for me. Somehow I just don't know what to do. And, and then I get scared. That, you know, another stimulation, right? Oh, my God, I don't know what to do. I'm powerless. I'm scared. Go to the pantry. It's just what's hardwired into me. So, so for me, it's, it's baby steps. If I can break any problem, fear, or resentment down into little pieces and ask for help, that helps. So, thanks. Okay, there's a little one for Cindy, and then there's a longer one. <laughs> we need to know, again, your short, short version of the serenity prayer. <laughs> Good question. <laughs> and then also, thank you. I am a newcomer coming back after 15 years. I'm so angry. How do you deal with the anger? Thank you for speaking about the anger. I'll leave these up here for you to... <laughs> Exactly. Short version. Fuck them. Yeah. um, Like, well, anger. All I, I. How do I deal with it? I would want to say I don't, but I also do a step four. Which, if you haven't done that, um, I'm sure there's a lot of people here who can help you. But the first is to write. um, Who are you angry at? Or who do you if. The real thing people say is, who um, are you, who do I resent? Uh, but sometimes, I know for me that was hard, so it's who am I angry at, and you can just write a whole list of why you're ang- who you're angry at. And then the next part is why. And so you have this column here, and then you go to the next column, and then you get to write the story of how they abused you and did you wrong. And, um, and you get to write it all out very very detailed with a lot of emotion and it helps <laughs> I'm being sarcastic there but you can because it helps to get it out on paper and then um, after that the book says to ask yourself what does that anger do to you or to that relationship I think it's security how does it affect your security your pocketbook the relationship and self esteem and you get to like pick one of those and then um the book also says to uh, look at the person you're angry with and you get to say, which this is the part I love, um, the person I'm angry with is a sick person. God, save me from being angry. How can I be helpful? Thy will not mine be done. I find that to be the best thing. Sometimes I don't want to be helpful, but just getting it out is great. And um, also, as I heard this morning, actually, it's um, a way of opening my heart to allow that that person just didn't do me wrong and it's all about them. 
Oh, let me also say before you do this, if you haven't done it before, if you're new, don't do it without a sponsor because you'll screw yourself up and you may get more angry. So um, that's the truth, too. And then the last part is, wh- what is my part? And the book has um, talks about, am I being selfish, self-seeking, dishonest, um, or frightened? Uh, for me, the the self, the what was my part was always difficult because of um, so much victim stuff. So I didn't really do that well. I the sponsor I had helped me um, figure that part out because um, it's not always. It could be like you. Uh, there's a lot of people who talk about that part, and it ends up being like, um, oh, I have low self-esteem or pride. But it also can be. Uh, For instance, for me, I I had some anger towards my dad, and um, but I did something to him too. Uh, And 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 right then in the fourth step, my part was to start to fix it. Which usually we don't fix things until we get to the ninth step, which is about making amends. But it was really clear that there were things I could start doing today after I wrote it down and after we talked about it. The talking about it with someone else is step five, but you don't have to do that by yourself. So. Anyway, I, I hope that's helpful. And then, you know, I was reading in a different piece of literature that anger is a, is a feeling, is a physical feeling. So um, you could punch a pillow or kick a bed or throw eggs at a wall or break plates. Just don't hurt anybody else, you know. Um, I, 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 what I was reading, the person said, I like to run. And I'm like, I'm a compulsive overeater and I don't run. I'm not, I mean, you know, I'm not like the, the exercise bulimic thing. So please, whatever. Um, but it, it is physical. So, so moving, uh, anything would probably be very helpful, but I would say do a fourth step. Thanks. This is open to any, maybe all of you one at a time could answer this. What has been the tool or tools you find most useful to really refrain from eating compulsively? Do you want to go first, Scarlett? For me, I would say it's meetings. Um, I didn't get a lot of program in the beginning understanding it and so a lot of uh, understanding of the disease and the solution came from that and it's also a time where you're safe you're not going to go to a meeting and be eating there you know Um, but I just love what I hear at meetings and I love OA people and I can identify with them and I feel like it's a learning process for me like I say it's always been my favorite tool Um, different tools at different times Um, I would say um, prayer meditation another thing that helps Um, sticking with OA people um, it's real helpful to stay abstinent. Um, having that uh, supportive network. If you're going to the same meeting a lot, and then all of a sudden you're not showing up, if you've been heard and you are being friendly to people, you will be missed, and they will call you. 
if you're not doing that, and I, that was my first experience in OA with my first relapse, is that I, I was just so withdrawn that I didn't get to know people, and I wanted to keep my OA life separate from my other life, and I, I just was withdrawn, and uh, I thought, nobody missed me when I left. And so, if you want help, be heard. Talk. It helps you, and it helps the other people. You know, there's two things that work for me. Uh, Three things. Three meetings a week. Doing service. Service is a big one. because, Because... I am secretary at one meeting, and I do other service at this one. I do not have a perfect program. I have nights that I do not want to go to the stupid meeting. Really, I don't want to go. But I go, damn it, I got the key. (laughs) So I got to go. I got to go open the room. And then I go, that worked out okay. But, oh, and I also jump in the tub, go for a shower, you know, crazy stuff, right? But, But sometimes I just don't want to go. And the other big thing that I'm doing is when I was back in program after my relapse, and I'd been back in program two years, and I'd gained 10 pounds. And you go, how can you be back in program for two solid years and gaining weight? Hell, it's easy, right? It's easy. And a friend in program at the end of the, I was secretary. A friend in program came up to me and said, Rick, how much weight have you lost since you came back to OA? And I said, I have gained 10 pounds. And she said, you've got to put down the fork and I said I don't know how to do it I haven't got a clue and she says well I'm going to tell you and she did and she says this is what I eat bang right and the one thing that was really crazy in her plan of eating eliminated sugar (laughs) crazy thinking right I was so at a bottom I was prepared to go now giving up sugar if you haven't given up sugar, your brain will say WTF, right? Were you nuts? But actually, I found that sugar makes me nuts. I'm allergic to it. I just am. It's a phenomena of craving that kicks in. I don't have clarity of mind. I'm absolutely insane. And I know our slogan is, right, like my food plan could kill you. I don't think it will. I think the jury is out right now. Sugar absolutely giving it up will not kill you. But then again, that's just my opinion. (laughs) Thanks. I would say the phone call. And and, uh, here's where I'm thinking about um, compulsive overeating in that uh, for me – when 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 the question when someone asked me that I think about there was a time once when I was on the 880 driving back to my house and um, before OA I had learned a route to get home that included these st- and that included these stops to make for food and um, so thank God for cell phones because I wasn't convinced that I could get home and not stop at those places. And and had I not had a cell phone with some OA phone numbers in them, that I, 
and usually it's hard for me to call, but I was so convinced that I was going to stop and binge at every one of those places. And the thing is, why that was scary is because I did that before. When I came back to OA in 2001 in Sacramento, I binged from Davis. Um, there was a place I worked in Davis. I hit four um, fast foods, crossed the causeway, got off in West Sac, hit up two more. Thank God there was an OA meeting that night, and I went to an OA meeting, and I cried. However, um, and I didn't have a cell phone then, and I do know that um, since I did come to OA in the, uh, when I was 20, um, there were before cell phones, that's where you're supposed to pull over and make a phone call and keep dimes, and I was never that disciplined. So I should also say that, like, when I was bitching about that, excuse me for cussing again, but when I was complaining about that when I was 20, I would be like, it'd be easier if I had a phone. Like, who knew I was developing cell phones, right? So now, you know, fast forward 20 years plus, and I'm feeling that same feeling, and um, and I have a cell phone. So I picked up the cell phone and I called someone and I told her how I felt and what I was going to do and um or what I was afraid of doing and she didn't even tell me not to stop she just talked to me and I drove home and I didn't have to eat and then I was afraid I wouldn't be able to get out of my garage and go into my house and not destroy the refrigerator as meaning I wouldn't eat everything in there and so we just talked some more and then whatever that thing is that when you want to eat it's like it for me it's just like I got to do it now and my skin feels like it's crawling I didn't have to do it because I made a call and you know and I could say I have prayed before with that feeling and sometimes it goes away um but I've never had it fully go away until I pray and call or and if I can't pray if I call um so again I just I just need to be with you guys and it's like the a good thing and it's a bad thing. I there's someone I met in OA who says like, "Oh, the good news is we're your family. The bad news is we're your family." <laughs> so, that's me. Thanks. Okay, the last question and we have 5 minutes left. So, this is perfect. Um what to do if I am thinking everyone else is abstinent, why not me? Anyone? Well, first of all, that's not true. It, it's just it's just not true. It's just not true. I, I thought it. I lived it. It's not true. So I, I would take what, and I'll give her credit, her name is Evelyn R. She's the one who says, um, someone's got to get abstinent. Why not you? Well, think of it that way. Like, you know, people are abstaining here. And if you don't believe it, like me, hopefully you find someone who will let you just hang out with them for a day. That's what it was for me. Um, a sponsor I had in Sacramento was actually her husband I wanted, but he didn't sponsor women, so I got his wife. And um, I, didn't, I didn't believe the recovery he had, but I should tell you we were at this restaurant that burnt down in Berkeley, and we were, and this is a quote from him, pissed off hungry. And um, we walk in. And he gets a table, and he pulls out his OA literature. Like, you could see the big O on the front. And and I think it said, um, before you take that compulsive bite. And he's just reading that in the restaurant like he's not 
he's not hiding and I I'm eating you know I was eating and talking to her and I look at him and I'm like oh my god he's reading the literature and he was just reading it and calm and I it, it shocked me people do this thing people really do I'm not there yet to pull out the literature and read it calmly in front of people I'm still gonna have it in a paper bag or something but he did it. People do it. And when I saw him and I've seen other people, they do it. So just just don't believe it. That's just your disease telling you that crazy stuff. People abstain in here. And you can see it. It's And we get all caught up in the weight loss. That is a huge thing. Or in the maintaining, that is a huge thing. But it's really when they live their life, go through a job change, have a baby, get a divorce, and they didn't gain weight or lose weight. That means people are abstaining. Period. Period. And if your head tells you anything else, let someone else talk to you. Because that's that. I mean, you're wrong. I'm sorry. You're wrong. It's your disease. I was wrong. I can say that to you because I was wrong. So um, anyway, good luck to you. (laughs) Okay, that is just so cool. (laughs) Two years ago, we were having this convention in Sacramento. And I had some small rule. And they passed around at the committee meeting a list, and it said, please sign up for emergency backup speaker in case, you know, in my mind, a pool of blood, somebody died, right? (laughs) And it had an abstinence requirement, and I didn't sign it. And one of the gals came up to me and said, Rick, you like to speak, yeah? But why didn't you sign the list? And I said, because I don't have perfect abstinence. And she said, what did it say? It said an abstinence requirement. Did it say perfect? And I went, hell yeah. No, it didn't. (laughs) Because that's my brain. I want perfect. I want perfect. It has to be perfect. If it's not perfect, then I'm not perfect. Then I'm not good enough. Then I might as well go eat, right? It's just crazy shit. So that's my brain. And, and do I have perfect abstinence? No, I don't. But do I go to three meetings a week? Do I use the tools? Do I have sponsors? Do I have a sponsor? Do I do, I do what needs to be done to stay at a healthy body weight? Yes, I do. That's what I do. But I'm not perfect. And that's the challenge for me is per- one of them. One of my defects is perfectionism. Oh, I'm not perfect. Oh, well, then, that baby, that bath water, out, gone, next, leave. Well, that's not happening. That's not going to happen. Thanks. Um, I'm another one. I worry about that definition of abstinence because I don't do it perfectly either. Um, I had to learn about moderation. And boy, I have gotten people upset when I say I want to eat like a normal person because they think, well, you're not normal. You can't do that. (laughs) Well, no, I'm not normal, but I don't have to be crazy the other way either. You know, and, and eating a pea or a tablespoon or a lettuce leaf too much is just not normal in my book either. Um, so I have a loosey-goosey, you know, abstinence, and I have to agree. Um, 
I can claim it because I hang in there. I claim it because I'm doing the program to the best of my ability. I don't use the tools every single day, but I use some of the tools. I go to three meetings a week because I know I have to. Um, the other thing I want to say is it sounds like the person's, oh, you know, they can do it, but I can't. Don't leave before the miracle happens. Don't leave before the miracle happens. Some of us get it quickly. Some of us, it takes a while. And some of us, even a long while. But you're welcome here no matter what. This is our hospital. This is our church. This is what we need. And you are welcome here. And you stay here until your miracle happens. Thank you again to all the panelists. Um, a quick reminder, the silent auction and boutique are right out here to the left. Please visit it. Um, it's now time to close this session. Let's thank our speakers. And all who have done service, including our timer. Let's go ahead and stand and hold hands and do the I put my hand in yours. Thank <laughs> you.